Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Ephesians. Good to see you guys. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> and we're going to continue in our battle ready uh, conversation that we started last week in regards to being suited up with the armor of God. Now while you're flipping there, let me make this observation to you. It's been said that you can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the apples in a seed. I love that statement. I love that quote. On Friday, I had the opportunity, uh, along with my daughter Hannah, I went to see my buddy Walter. Walter is a guy that led me into Jesus, if you will. Uh, When I surrendered to Christ back in October of 85, Walter is the one that laid hands on me that day prayed with me as I surrendered to Christ. Walter then uh, started meeting with me and mentoring me. I'll never forget, he took a piece of paper out, he wrote a big R on the piece of paper, and he said, we're gonna do three things. We're gonna read, we're gonna research, and we're gonna remember. He gave me a copy of uh, Strong's Concordance. Remember those, Jeff, those big old thick books? They looked like an encyclopedia, if you will. And that brother started pouring into my life back then. Here's why I tell this story. So I talked to his wife on Thursday, and she said he's pretty much full-blown Alzheimer's. He's 68 years old. When you talk about a person being absent-minded, so I called him Friday. We were en route. I said, Walter, Big Tim. And it was just like this pause. I said, hey, man, I'm coming to see you. He goes, where are you? And I was like, no, 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 we're we're coming to see you, Walter. And I got there, and Deborah told me, she said, he asked me last night, who is Big Tim? He saw my mother at a funeral last year right before COVID, looked at his wife and said, now, who is she? And they had spent years together. Here's what I told him the other day. I said, brother, I said, the influence you had on my life radically changed who I am. You put your arm around me when I first got saved. You got me into the word. You got me studying scripture and memorizing scripture. I said, Walt, the first time I ever shared my testimony was on a Wednesday night when you were leading the group, uh, the youth group. I said, do you remember that? He goes, no. I'm looking in the face of a man that I know but there's absent-minded. But I looked at him and said, you can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the apples in a seed. And I said, the influence that you've had on my life has planted many vineyards across the years. And I just want to say thank you. Every day we have the opportunity to plant seeds. Every day we have the opportunity to cast seeds. And you never know when you're out there ministering and sharing your story, whose life you're going to impact and influence. Walter, about two years into my faith journey, looked at me, and I'll never forget this, and he was always kind of trippy. He came to faith in Christ out of drugs and uh, acid, mushrooms. He was out there for a while. But when he came to faith in Christ, God radically rocked him. And he looked at me about two years into my journey, and he goes, you know what I feel like? I said, what do you feel like? He goes, I feel like a tugboat. 
And I thought, man, this dude burned way too many brain cells. Never forget looking at him. But I said, why do you feel like a tugboat? And he said, because I feel like God is giving me the opportunity to pull an ocean liner in you out into the waters, and you're going to sail the world and share the good news of the gospel with people. It broke my heart. It humbled me. But God used that guy to mentor me, and over the years, being able to go throughout the world, throughout this nation, and proclaim the good news of the gospel, it was that seed right there by that man. So you've got friends and family members that you can invite. There's cards back in the Connect Center. Take advantage of it. We have posters. If, you're in, uh, if you have a business or a small business and you want to take a poster and hang it up somewhere to invite and just make the, the word unknown regarding Easter weekend, invite your world. People are searching right now. And this, these are very crazy times and people are looking for direction. So I would encourage you to take advantage of that. Next week, we'll drive deeper. But here's what's going to happen. Uh, starting on uh, Monday the 29th, we're encouraging every person in our fellowship to dive into seven days of fasting and prayer. It's going to be seven days of intentional consecration, which means yielding our heart to the Lord. We have a document, Dustin, it'll be on the website starting next week. And uh, this document is going to walk you through. It's about a six-page six document. And we're going to take every day and kind of give you a, a game plan of what to do. But we explain what fasting and, and consecrating really looks like to the Lord. But we're challenging, challenging our people, please take advantage of that time, okay? And there'll be more. There'll be videos, different things that you can access. So I want you to be uh, totally yielded. And uh, hopefully this does not become just a seven-day all for you, but it becomes the unforced rhythms of how you do life throughout every day of your life, meaning you fast, you pray, you consecrate, and you stay surrendered to the Lord. Okay? That's where we're going to go. Father, I, I do pray in Jesus' name now that you would really uh, minister into this space now. And I pray that our hearts would be open to truth and that we would really be able to hear from you. We need you. And Lord, I pray that we would be desperate for you. In Christ's name, amen. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10, it says this, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Here would be my question as I start today. How has the devil been attacking you this past week? Didn't ask if he's been attacking you. It's a given. If you're a child of God and a chaser of the heart of the king, he's going to come against you. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy. He's looking for someone to devour. How has the enemy been attacking you this week? Does the guilt of past sin and failure haunt you so badly that you just want to quit? Are you dealing with family issues right now, whether it be marriage or external family-style dynamics that is just wearing you out, and you know that the enemy has got a stronghold in that area? Or maybe there is that hidden life of immorality, that hidden life of, uh, of bondage. There, there's a stronghold, and you've opened the doors in the past, whether it be sex, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, and the enemy is attacking you there. How has he been attacking you? I've got good news for you. You are not doomed 
as a child of God to be destroyed by the devil. There is nothing in Scripture that supports that God in any way desires to see you live in defeat. He does not desire, <clears throat> desire to see you live in depression. But the enemy will convince you, man, look at how bad things are right now. And you can get so dark in your thoughts and you can get so dark with the way things are going in your life or has been going for a period of time that you really are convinced that there's no hope, there's no help, there's no way out. The devil wants you to be convinced that you're stuck where you're at and you're going to be there for the rest of your life. And I meet people and encounter people all the time that have allowed the satanic-induced thinking of the enemy to saturate their minds in such a way that they feel like this is just the way it's going to be. And that's a bad, bad place to be. I can promise you, our God is greater than anything that we'll face. Greater is the one who lives inside of us than he who is out here trying to patrol and control the world. Satan is a created being by God and will always be inferior to our God that created him. So I want to encourage you today, no matter what you're battling through, your story matters and help is available. Back to the text. Put on the whole armor of God so that you will be able to resist evil, and so that you will be able to stand firm in the evil day of danger. Stand firm. The Amplified Version uses different adjectives, if you will, to express words, but it means to be prepared and immovable. How do we become prepared? How do we become equipped? How are we able to stand firm in the midst of all the chaos and confusion and attacks that the enemy wants to bring against us? Now, last week, we looked at the first three pieces. We talked about the belt of truth. We talked about uh, putting on and wearing daily the breastplate of righteousness. And then we talked about making sure that we're wearing the shoes of the gospel of peace. Here, he says, take up, take up, take up the shield of faith. Take up the helmet of salvation. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He tells us in Scripture, take this up every day. The first three, it's implied that the Roman soldier would pretty much wear those all the time. The next three, you've got to have these things on hand. They better be available, and you've got to be ready to use them whenever. Now, I want you to think through this. Take up the shield of faith. For the Roman soldier, he had a shield. And the shield was about two and a half feet wide, about four feet tall, and he would keep that shield, he would hold on to that shield so that when the enemy would start to throw and shoot darts or arrows at him, he was able to deflect them and, 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 and wore them off, if you will. God desires to see us protected every day. Jesus Christ and our faith in Christ is our shield of faith. It is our ultimate protection. So when the lies and deceit and deception of the enemy come your way, we must be confident in God, in the word of God, in what God says if we're going to be able to stand firm in crazy times. We're living in a world right now where people are so into the latest whatever YouTube video or whatever social media 
post, we're, we're living in a world where media drives so much, whether it's national media or social media. And, and so few people are really pressing into the word of God and allowing the word of God and the God of the word to be their strength and sufficiency. And that's where we're living right now. So when we, when we think through this, my faith in Christ and my understanding of truth is absolutely crucial for what I do every day. Now, here's some things I wrote down. And a working definition for me, and a simple, simple working definition would be this. Faith is acting as if God is telling the truth. Faith is acting as if God is telling the truth and all other opinions must be measured against the standard of God's word. Faith is our response every day to what God has already said. What has God said? So faith is acting on truth whether you feel like it, whether you like it, whether you agree with it. Faith is saying God says that, that confirms it, that establishes it. Again, way back, I heard people say that, you know, God said it, I believe it. That settles it. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. If God said it, it settles it. If God said it, I better believe it because it's established, okay? So when we study, when we study Scripture and we, and, and we get to this concept of faith, we have to understand that faith is an action word. Faith will always have feet, Hebrews chapter 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the substance of things hoped for, uh, the conviction of things not seen. Uh, verse 6 says, uh, without faith it's impossible to please God because those who come to God, they must believe he exists and he rewards those who diligently seek him. Faith, faith is having conviction. Faith is having this assurance in my soul that God, you are true, and even though many things that you ask us to step into are unseen or unknown, as soon as you start to try to get attached to an outcome, you will forfeit living by faith. When you try to control an outcome, you're not going to walk by faith. And faith is saying, God, I believe that you're enough. Faith causes me to be pushed beyond my boundaries of comfort. Faith will always lead me out of my comfort zone. Faith confronts a life of complacency. And we're living in a culture right now where so many people call themselves followers of Christ. There's no fruit. There's no indication. There's no, there's no depth. There's no substance. I'm like, what, what, what does that mean? I, I mean, truth is that which corresponds with reality, right? It always corresponds with reality. So if I say I am a follower of Jesus, it implies that I imitate Jesus. I am a little Jesus known to the world. Faith leads me to something. And faith is going to challenge me. Faith always will say your God is bigger than any circumstance you'll ever go through. That's that. God is greater than, correct? Faith calls me, as I said earlier, to trust the God of the word and then to trust the word of God. I've got to dive into this every day. There's no shortcuts. So our faith is not based on human tradition. It's not based on human feelings. Our faith is in a person, and it's the person of Jesus Christ. It's not in some secular system. It's not in some philosophical paradigm. Our faith is in Christ and him alone. Now, here's what I know. Over the years of walking with the king, your faith will grow 
your faith will increase, your faith will mature when you exercise faith. It's like a muscle. You've got to exercise it in order for it to grow. And, and, and even as I've looked over my journey, over these last 35 plus years of walking with Jesus, I can tell you this, faith, true faith in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, it's not calculated. It's not that we sit down and write out this great formula and, and strategy. Faith will always involve risk. Faith is going to challenge you to go way beyond your borders. Faith in Christ is never satisfied with the status quo. Well, we're just going to cruise these last few years. And I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm 70 years old or I'm, I'm 62 years old or I'm, I'm just cruising now. I'm going to retire. Retirement is not a biblical word. You never can be satisfied with status quo. Faith will always be based on deep intimacy with the Lord. You've got to walk every day with the king. Jesus is saying, come to me. I want to hang with you. I love you. I'm for you. But true faith is going to be stretched and it matures the more we step out and trust God. So here would be the question. So faith is knowing truth and obeying truth. Hannah and I were driving home again Friday from hanging out with Walter and we got into this conversation because she's really struggling through at 18 years old. What does it look like to really press in and walk with the Lord? And we got into this space, Andrew, and I said, Hannah, I said, here's what you're going to find in the church, in youth group, wherever you go, you're going to find a lot of people that their faith is nothing more than cultural faith. It's based on the culture that you grew up in. So, so, so you grew up in the South. There's churches all around you. You got cultural faith. It's cultural. Or maybe you came from a family. You can't live on borrowed, borrowed convictions and hand-me-downs. Whatever your mom and dad truly believe, it doesn't mean it belongs to you. There's so many people that all they have as they walk through life is this cultural faith. There's so many people in our culture today that all they have is comfortable faith or convenient faith. They only get into the word when it's convenient. They only hang out in Christian fellowship when it's convenient. There's all these other pleasure-seeking activities that compete, and we, we've just got this comfortable faith. We don't want to be rocked. We don't want to be disturbed. We don't want to be challenged. We just want to stay safe. We, we want to stay comfortable. And so many people gravitate toward easy believism and easy going teaching. I, I can promise you this. God has called us to committed faith all in, surrender every area. I want everything that you've got. That's the reason like reading people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it will motivate you to see the radical commitment and surrender this brother had to the king. Listen to me. Listen to me. That's the reason when you study even the writings here in the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul was shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, all this stuff. He lived the normal Christian life. He was not like some super normal Christian. What Paul lived was just the normal Christian life, pressing into the Lord, counting this world as nothing, 
realizing his citizenship was elsewhere. That's why he would write so much about that. Hey, I'm just passing through. My dash is not going to be for long. I'm trusting in the king. And everything that he wrote was about compelling people to press into the Lord. I can tell you, faith has feet. Hebrews chapter 11 If you even stay in that hall of faith chapter, it says in verse 8, by faith, Abraham said yes to God to travel to an unknown place that would become his home. Abraham said yes, and he left and had no idea where God was taking him. Faith is not about knowing when, where, how, and why. Faith is all all founded on knowing who. Who? God is leading me. God is directing me. And and I can promise you, if you're not living a life of faith, when the enemy comes against, no, I have faith. It's it's action. I'm defending off what you're doing, but I'm living, trusting something greater than me. We must redeem the opportunities to be stretched. Even coming here. Back in January of 2011, I'll never forget in 2010, man, we've been in this space of ministry for 20 years. We love that sports ministry. We love the doors that God had opened up over the years. I mean, I came to faith when I was playing baseball, and it was like infiltrate that. I'm in that space. Man, we know it. God has opened up so many doors, whether it be baseball, football, the entertainment world, right? It was like, man... And God goes, hey, I want you to step out in faith and pastor locally. But, but Lord, this is a good gig over here, and, 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 and we're raising up the next generation of people. Pastor, I, I, It was in my heart. It was a burning. And I knew that if I was really going to just walk in the joy of the Lord, I had to step into a new norm. And I didn't know what that new norm was going to feel like, look like, be like. But that's faith. I'm going to ask you to do something this is going to stretch you. I'm going to call you before, uh, beyond, if you will, I'm going to call you beyond what you have experienced or know or even that which is comfortable. And that was part of that faith journey even way back. I mean, I come to faith, man, and God, I felt like the Lord said, I, I want you to move to Indiana. I can promise you, if you're not living by faith and you're not being stretched to grow in your faith, life will feel very boring It it will almost feel meaningless at times. But when you're living by faith, Benji, that's where it's at, bro. That's when you start to grow. Mark chapter 2. I I love this story in Mark 2. But it tells the story of the four friends that brought this paralytic on a mat to Jesus, couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd, goes onto the roof, cuts a hole in the roof, and lets down this paralytic right in the presence of Jesus. And Mark chapter 2, verse 5, we read, Jesus seeing their faith. Whose faith? The four friends. The four friends who were risking it to get their paralyzed buddy to Jesus. Seeing their faith. And I was like, man, that's so good. Because God may be asking you to do something today, to step into a space, to bring about hope and healing in somebody's life that's going down the tubes right now, but it is going to require you to get out of your comfort zone and take a step of faith. There may be a family member or a co-worker right now in your life, and God is saying, I want you to share the gospel with them. I want you to reach out 
and the mind monsters the enemy has hit you with, you may be locked up so bad, and God is saying, take that step of faith. It's going to require it. You may just be stagnant in so many areas of your life right now. God may be challenging you today to get into the game, to start living a life of radical generosity, to up your giving, whatever, but it's going to require a step of faith. But when you step out in faith, what, what you'll see, and this is true in my journey, guys, I can, I can, I can promise you this. I have never seen a step of faith not be met with God's grace and generosity in my life. It might not be what you thought it would be. But when you start to step out and go, all right, how do I raise funds in a parachurch ministry like I was in and Benji's in? You don't. You watch God provide because he is Jehovah Jireh. You take the step of faith. You share with people what you what you're doing, and watch God raise up more than you can even ask or think. It's going to require faith. I want you to take the shield of faith as part of the armor. Walk in truth. You're my righteousness. God has declared us to be righteous. He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might be the righteousness of God. Now, whenever you walk into a space, whenever you walk into a conversation, I want you wearing the shoes of the gospel of peace. Now, as you're out there doing life, take the shield of faith. The enemy's going to come against you. But the one thing he cannot destroy is when you're walking in faith. I'm trusting God. If you're not walking in faith, if it's all calculated and rehearsed and you're sitting on the sidelines, you will get your lunch handed to you. I just wrote this down as a wrap on the, on the faith piece. But faith will inspire me to be something. Man, I start to walk in the identity that God has for me. I start to walk fully alive in Christ. Faith inspires me to be something. It inspires me to do something. Hey, get up, let's go. Step out. Take risk. It invites Faith will always inspire me and invite me to speak something, say something. Love on that person. Get into that life with that person. Step out. Just do it. Faith will always invite me and inspire me to live something. Live beyond the boundaries and borders of your own thought process. You've got, you've got to believe that God wants to do something grand in your life. And faith inspires me to love God. And love others. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, you can't please God. And without faith, you will not be able to stop the fiery darts that the enemy hurls your way. I want you to take up the shield of faith. And then he says, I want you to take up the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation is a very powerful piece of the armor. Now, you'll hear me say that we... Do not believe in a la carte in scripture and cut and pasting scripture. I don't believe that you can a la carte and cut and paste and just take the pieces of the armor that you like. Take the helmet of salvation. Helmet. It not only covers the, the head and the brain, but the helmet protects the mind. The helmet protects the mind. And the main purpose of a helmet, whether you're in battle, whether you're playing sports, whether you're on a construction site, 
It's to protect the brain from being damaged. Because what we know is if the brain becomes damaged, it distorts the rest of the body from being able to function properly. And again, being in that athletic world for so long, I, I remember uh, just the, the, the progression of seeing uh, in, in the football world of, of how they're trying to continue to do things with the helmet, with the padding or whatever to protect the brain because of all the concussions over the years. But the, the reason they wear those helmets with the padding is to absorb when that, that big dude comes across you and bam, hits you, they, they want to be able to protect the brain. Or when you're slammed to the ground, when that DM grabs that quarterback and slams him down, it's like we've got to be able to protect that. But why? But because if the brain gets scrambled and confused, it distorts everything else. And Satan knows that the mind is the battlefield. The mind is the battlefield. The mind is where thoughts, emotion, our will, everything starts to take place there. I'm coming at it. I'm coming at it. I'm coming at your mind. And, and I've seen over the years, players, whether it be a catcher in baseball or a football player, whatever, he gets hit so many times and he goes into concussion protocol, he, he can't play. And if he get, takes too many shots, he might not ever be able to play again. He might not even be able to function again. And Satan's coming after your mind today. And Satan will do everything he can inside your skull to come at your mind, to come at your thoughts, and he is going to do everything he can to create doubt and to create discouragement in your life today. He wants you to doubt the faithfulness of God. God can't be trusted. Go all the way back to the Genesis account. That was the lie that Adam and Eve bought. God can't be trusted. God's holding out on you. Hey, your way... Pursue hedonism. That's what you want to do, right? Doubt the faithfulness of God. And then he's going to discourage you. I mean, you know as well as I do that the mind monsters and the mental attacks that any of us have, he's coming at us every day. Man, look at all your failures. Look at how jacked up and screwed up you are. Man, you ain't nothing but a mess. Man, look at your track record. Oh, you claim to be a believer, but you got hammered last week. Oh, oh, you claim to be a believer, you still lust. And Satan's coming against us. Yes, we should put on righteousness. We should desire to walk in righteousness. We should desire to walk in truth. But Satan's coming against us. You suck. You're no good. God's not for you. God doesn't love you. God's not going to provide for you and protect you. You'll never be good enough. And the truth is, I am not good enough. That's why I needed a Savior to die for me and to redeem me and to rescue me and to fill me with his presence. I am good enough in Christ. I have got to be clothed in Christ every day. But the enemy desires to take you out, and he's going to come at your thoughts. Here's some things, practical steps for fighting mind monsters. Here's just four simple things. I promise you it is doable for all of us. One, think about what you're thinking about. So many of us just allow our, our minds to run wild. 
And the enemy will absolutely take you down trails, Jason. He will get you going down paths that you go, I didn't even want to go down that path. You better stop and think about what you're thinking about. Because our choices and the choices that we make are birthed from the thoughts that we have. As a man thinks, so he is. So we have this thought. This thought brings about an emotion, and the emotion leads to an action. I got to think. And, and even though we use this in communication with others, where we go think before you talk is what I'm saying truthful. Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? The truth is we need to think is what I'm thinking truthful is what I'm thinking helpful, is what I'm thinking inspiring, is what I'm thinking necessary, and is what I'm thinking kind. I mean, I need to think about what I'm thinking about. Second, this is where it drives us to, capture your thoughts. When you have a thought, take it hostage. Second Corinthians chapter 5, 3 through 5 says, you have the power. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. You have the power to capture every thought and make it obey Jesus. That's what he says. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I have, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the ability to capture whatever thought that is and take it to obey the Lord. Again, I, I battle mind monsters like you do. Satan tries to come against me and jack with me in my mind. There's so much slander and so much conde condescending statements and condemnation being thrown. And I'm like, you hear something and it's like, choose to view Blake and Liz or whoever. That is the disciple that Jesus loves. And people will share things with you at times that try to taint the vision that you have or how you see someone. You've got to take it. You've got to take the thought captive. You've got to take it hostage and go, all right. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can capture it. The third thought would be this. Then after you capture it, test the thought. He says in Philippians 4, whatever is right, pure, holy, lovely, excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, let your mind dwell on these things. Think about what you're thinking about. Capture it and then test it against the word of God. Test it against truth. Satan's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants you to go down these crazy paths. And you're thinking, test it. And then the fourth thing is, just decide what you're going to do. I would throw away lies, and I would hold on and cling to truth. I mean, decide what you're going to do. Some of us love the nonsense, chaos, and just kind of rhetoric that people are throwing out there that leads to controversy. I'm not going to hold on to that. I'm not going to be weighed down with it. Take every thought captive. Protect that mind. Put on the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. I'm saved. I am secure in Christ. God is for me. There's some people probably even sitting in this room that came out of a more of a, an Arminian uh, theology where even some of that kind of teaching at times says, hey, man, do you not realize you can fall from grace? I can tell you this. I believe that every believer can be saved and sure, but you better make sure that you've got God's salvation. Are you secure? I'm secure. I'm putting on the helmet every day that I'm saved. I'm securing Christ. Not a demon in hell can pluck me out of his hand. If I am in Christ, remember God is greater than any force. He's not going to let me go. 
I'm going to walk in it. So I want you to take, I want you to take the shield of faith. That's what Paul is saying. I want you to take the helmet of salvation, protect your mind. And then I want you to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The only offensive weapon that we have is the word of God. This is the sword of the spirit. It, it, this right here, the sword of the spirit, is what the word is, is what the spirit of God uses for us to do battle against the enemy. Now let me explain. This is crucial right here. Let me explain. Again, one of the reasons so many of us are having our lunch handed to us is that we've drifted toward humanism and secularism and just uh, feel-good psychology, and it doesn't work. This is so crucial. Now, there's three words for the word word when we study the New Testament. We usually emphasize the last two I'll hit, but there's three. The first word for word when you study is the word graphe in the Greek. That's where we get paragraph or graffiti. That's where it comes from. Check this out. This is, this is so good. Graphe is the writings of God. It would be what we call the 66 canonized uh, books that make up the Bible. I've got a copy of Graphe. This is, this is just Graphe. Then you move to the second word in the Greek, which is the word Logos. Logos is the message that the Graphe emphasizes. Jesus was the Logos, the revealed message of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was Logos there, which means he is the revealed message of God. He is the incarnate one of God. Now, the third word for word is the word rhema. And that is the word that Paul uses here in Ephesians chapter 6. Rhema is the declaration and the sayings of God. I want you to take up the sayings of God. I'll never forget this. Dave, you may remember this way back. Glenn, you may remember this. I remember one of my first introductions of going to church, okay? And I remember the old pastor on a Sunday morning saying, hey, if you've got your Bible with you, hold it up in the air and shake it at the devil. You ever hear that, Jeff? Satan's not scared of you having a copy of Graffe in your hand. You got it in your hand. What good? David said, I've hidden your word in my heart so I won't sin against you. There's so many people that have a copy of Graffe. That's all, that's all they got. God desires for us to have Rhema. The declared truth of God, hidden down inside, that we've got gnosko knowledge of it, where we've got such intimate affiliation with it, is buried inside of us. Now, this is interesting. I'll get to a Hebrews 4.12. uses the word rhema. But the gladiators, there were a couple of different swords that they used, but the one that was the lethal sword that they used was about 18 inches long. It was called... The gladius. This thing was sharp. It, it was razor sharp on both sides. All edges were so sharp. And, and a gladius 
in the hand of a gladiator was a lethal weapon because the Roman soldiers, this weapon was so sharp that it could penetrate armor. This thing was sharp. When the writer of Hebrews says, the word of God, the rhema of God, Hebrews 4.12, it's alive. It's powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It is able to cut between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It is able to expose our innermost thoughts and desires. Rhema. When you start to, to, to hide the word and conceal the word in your heart, and you're starting to walk in the rhema of God, and the enemy comes against you, He's not afraid of you having graphe. He's not afraid of you having a copy in your bathroom and one on the shelf at home. And oh, he's not afraid of the 150 versions that are on your version Bible app. Oh, I've got a copy of scripture. What is that? What's that doing for you? He's not even really that threatened if you're living in Logos land. Oh, I've asked Jesus to save me and I walk down an aisle. That's good, but do you have rhema? Well, well I, I go to church and I take a few notes and I attend a Bible study and I, I've got some knowledge. But when the enemy comes against you, is it translated into battle? Is it translated into battle? And we live in a culture, even church culture, nationally and here in the South where people attend Bible studies and people attend these things and, and they got their notes, which is great. But the only reason you should take them is to allow the spirit of God to plant them deep in your heart so that when the enemy comes, you're able to fight against him. We never read, meditate, and study just for the purpose of information. It has always got to be for the purpose of transformation so that when the enemy comes, I'm able to take the sword of the Spirit, the gladius of God. And for the child of God that is sold out to the king, that has hidden the word in his heart, the word of God in the heart of an armed believer is a dangerous weapon when the enemy comes your way. It's a dangerous lethal weapon. Satan, you know you're defeated. And the graphe doesn't bother you. Yeah, you don't like seeing people embrace the Logos, Jesus, the true word. But you'll keep them dormant over there just so that they've got decent knowledge and information. But it's not leading to transformation. I've got to hide your word in my heart. So I will not sin against you. I've got to put on the full armor every day. I, I want to be clothed with the righteousness of God every day. I want to make sure that in this postmodern world that I'm not allowing my mind to be drifted toward subjective reasoning and whatever the political and secular and media arguments are today. I want to know truth. Lord, I just want to step in and bring the peace of God to every relationship. Oh, I want to walk by faith. I want to make sure that I keep my helmet on every day to protect my mind. But I've got to have rhema. I've got to hide it and know it because the enemy is going to come against you today. That's the reason I started by saying how 
has he attacked you this week? And when Jesus was tempted, after his time of fasting and prayer, it says he was led out into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy for 40 days. He quoted Ramah. I wrote this the other morning. It was the hour of temptation. And without hesitation, what Jesus said was, it is written. I need to be fed, but not Satan's bread. What Jesus said was, it is written. When he offers his power, rebuke that liar and just claim the fire. It is written. When the battle's all done, the devil will run. King Jesus has won. It is written. If Jesus, God in flesh, was resolved to attack the enemy with the word rhema of God, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we know truth? Shouldn't we know the declarations and sayings of God in such a way that we buried him inside of our heart, that the thing that pops in our mind immediately because his word is so concealed and so saturated in our heart, here's what God says. And in this culture in which we find ourselves living, I promise you that's not the popular position to have. It's not the popular stance to have. Because for so many of us, I don't want to be attacked. I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't want to face persecution. Then I don't know which Jesus you want to follow. The Jesus of the Bible says it's time to ante up. So here's my close. Putting on the full armor. It's knowing truth that allows me to walk in righteousness and peace. And as a result of my personal faith in Jesus Christ that protects me, my helmet and salvation is I know I belong to the king, which allows me then to trust the word is sufficient. We will build this church and this fellowship here on the God of the word, but yet on the word of God. And we will do everything we can to make sure that we handle with accuracy, the rhema of God. I pray, I pray that your heart would be flooded today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what your life has really been like. We can pose for 80 minutes on Sunday morning and just kind of check the boxes and high five. I don't know what your life has really been, but I pray that you would be sold out and surrendered to the King. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, We hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. 
That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. But we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.